Fresh, the podcast for those passionate about growing their business through the power of connection. At Fresh, we've thrown out the rule book on networking as you may know it, and we've written our own. Think more connections, less blah, and a whole lot of ooh la la. Get ready to explore all things networking and business under the guise of fun, as world-class guests and relatable conversations collide, resulting in education, inspiration, and growth for you. G'day everyone, welcome to the show. I'm your host Tiffany Cook, but let me get to the exciting part. Our guest today is the wonderful Kate Save. She's the founder of Be Fit Food, which is one of Australia's largest healthy food distribution services, and she is one hell of a source of inspiration and education for small businesses, solo and entrepreneurs who might be wondering, is my business ever really going to take off? Well, <laughs> buckle up because you are going to love this episode. So I'm going to step out of the way now, take a moment to rave about our wonderful sponsor, and then let's get straight into the good stuff. Darren Kelk from Travel Managers Australia is excited to be sponsoring this episode of Let's Get Fresh. Darren and his team make dreams come true 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They are mobile travel agents who are your one-stop shop for all of your personal and company travel needs. They specialise in international corporate travel, cruises, tours and package holidays throughout Asia, United States, Canada and Europe. With over 21 years of experience in travel, their clients feel safe and at ease knowing that all aspects of their travel is personally managed, which is so important right now with so much disruption around the world. Remember, without a personal travel manager, you're on your own. So check out Darren's details in the show notes to this episode and reach out to him today. Kate Save, very big welcome to the Let's Get Fresh podcast. Thanks for having me. Oh, tell you what, I got excited when I heard you speak the other day and you hit <laughs> top of the who are we going to speak to on the next Fresh podcast list. I thought was I reached out to you straight away and I thought I'm squeezing that one in for the next episode. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I, I must say, I love talking about anything nutrition. I love telling our story and just spreading the world, word to the world. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's amazing. And I just was so, there's nothing more inspiring than hearing the nuts and bolts of how someone actually gets something off the ground. At Fresh Networking, we're a whole bunch of like small to medium businesses generally and there's a lot of people and I just thought to myself, there's so many people, like I got so excited hearing about your ideas and your business and your the getting started and the almost falling down and the like it's it excites me. So I can't wait to share that with all of the listeners. But tell us a little bit, give us a, a really brief snapshot of who Kate Save is and what you do day to day now. Yeah, so I'm a dietitian, exercise physiologist and diabetes educator. Uh, I'm a mother of two, Chloe and Mia, that are seven and nine or just turned eight and nine. And um, I guess day to day for me now, I spend all of my time working at 
Bayfit Food, which is my second company. So my first company is a consulting company where we have dietitian services. I used to have a gym, which I sold and lots of different health professional services. And that company still services lots of private hospitals, about 10 or 11 medical centers and bariatric clinics. And that led me to create Bayfit Food. So Bayfit Food is Australia's first doctor and dietitian designed and scientifically formulated home delivered meals program. So we spend specialize on or specialize in meals that actually improve health. So meals for health improvement. And we own the trademark food as a first medicine because I think after many, many years of seeing people who are unwell, what we would recognize, I guess, is when they were being treated with medication alone, they would never get well. They'd get sicker and sicker and need more and more medication. And food became less important to them for some reason because, you know, their doctors would often just say, well, you know, your medication will manage this, your medication will manage that. No, your blood pressure is fine. I'm like, you're on blood pressure medication. It's not fine. We should be fixing that with your diet first and then you won't need the medication. Oh, the doctor said the medications, you know, it's okay. I'm not on a high dose. And I think after hearing that so many times that people would rather take a pill to fix something than use food, I really wanted to change that narrative and let people know that food should be the first medicine that you treat yourself with as much as you can and try and resolve all of your chronic health conditions. And particularly in things like pre-diabetes, for example, like a lot of people will have the first scare with a high fasting blood sugar level. Mm. But (laughs) I think not everyone really understands what that means and what the role of diet and exercise is. So I think they think that sugar in food equals sugar in the bloodstream. And if only it was that simple. (laughs) And it's just not. And I think it's hard to find the right information and to know who to trust. And it really got to the point after seeing around 10,000 patients in my clinics and uh, health facilities that I decided I needed to help people with the product that they could use because they'd bring in all these labels of things that they were buying and eating and pills, potions, supplements and different ready-made products. And I would constantly be saying, no, you just need to do it yourself. No, it, it shouldn't have that. Unit. Just keep it really simple. Just all your veggies, a little bit of lean protein, and then use herbs and spices and nuts and seeds and those sorts of things for flavor rather than trying to buy something in a jar that is literally made of sugar and MSG. And after years of that battle, my clients would always say to me, if you just came home and cook for me and, you know, padlocked up the fridge or pantry or freezer, (laughs) I'd be able to stick to this. And it eventually got to me and I went, you know what, I'm going to do exactly that. I'm going to tell you to throw everything at home out except the bottom drawer of your fridge basically and we're going to start fresh and I will deliver the food to your door, breakfast, lunch, dinner and snacks. You don't need to think about food for the next two weeks and we'll get the first five kilos off. And that's really how it started actually teaching people about whole foods and the power of whole foods to change their health. And it's not really about weight loss, but your body sheds body fat when you put the right things in. So it's, it's, 
I want to say it's not that hard. It is hard and it's it's a big change for people. And the first two to four days are certainly painful when they're going through a state of mild nutritional ketosis or a fat-burning state. But after the first sort of two to four days, the, the ketones in their bloodstream suppress their appetite and a brain level. They get used to smaller portions. They get used to the food not having the sugar and the salt and the MSG and the preservatives and those sorts of things in it. And I think food becomes more of a physiological pleasure. So something the body needs and it's meeting our physical needs, I guess, as opposed to sort of psychological, mental, emotional needs. So Mm. I like to say I try and take the pleasure out of eating, but people go, your food tastes so good. And I'm like, it's it only tastes good to the healthy palate. So if you have a healthy palate and you like vegetables, meat, herbs and spices and, you know, pretty clean food, then the fruit does taste good. But if you're not someone who, if you're used to sticky sauces and those sorts of things and yeah. the Chinese takeaway, then our stir fry is never going to taste like that or our wholemeal beef lasagna is not going to be like the, you know, the famous La Porchetta big, you know, half a kilo lasagna. So um, ours will have loads of veggies in there and it'll be lean and the pasta will be pretty minimal but enough there that you feel like that you're not going without something. Mm. I remember one year going home to Tassie at Christmas and doing a no sugar, no alcohol, no bread, <laughs> no gluten. No, I just went no everything. I was, you know, I was tired. I was burnt out. I was like, I'm just going to cut everything. And at Christmas time, right? What weird time to do it? But weirdly, uh, because you're out of routine, it was really easy. But the thing that I <laughs> that blew my mind, and I think of it a lot, is I remember coming back and having a cashew not a salted cashew, just a cashew, just a raw cashew and going, oh, it tastes like sugar. That tastes so sweet. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean a cashew tastes sweet? And mm. it was like I'd taken all of that processed food out of my diet for a while and things taste, have so much flavour. Uh, I can actually relate to that on the flip side that – when they, um, I used to travel a lot for work and I remember getting on a plane one day and I was starving. I hadn't eaten and, and it was when they stopped serving meals and everything. So the only thing that they were bringing around was your, you know, complimentary tea or coffee and it was like a jam biscuit or something. Mm-hmm. And I was so hungry. It was a couple <laughs> of hour flight and I was like, am I going to eat it? And I thought, oh, I'm starving. So I opened it up and um, took a bite and it was so know what the word is but it almost tasted poisonous like it had a metallic taste it was so intensely um artificial that I could taste the chemicals in it and I mean it was intensely sweet but you expected to jam cookie it's going to be sweet (laughs) but it was that kind of chemical taste of all the the crap that's in our food and sure enough a lot of the airline food is not the the highest quality particularly the giveaways and Mm. I can see a few good companies have got in there and are, you know, making a bit of an improvement on it. But I just remember thinking, wow, I didn't realise how healthy my palate was until I couldn't physically finish something and I was starving and it just tastes so fake. And I think a lot of the time I see people just gnawing down the protein bars and all those sorts of shakes yeah. and things like that. And I mean, I'm not to to say that they're bad for you and you can't have them. It's just think about what they're actually made of. Have a look at the ingredients list and is there anything in there that you think 
you know, it's more chemical sounding than food sounding. And if that's the case or, you know, plant-based food or real food, and, you know, it's okay to have 10% of the time, but 90% of what you eat should be your whole food. You should be getting it from your plant-based matter and lean meats and proteins and those sorts of things. So, uh, that's as simple as my philosophy is. And of course, the healthy fats are having your nuts and avocado and olive oil and being liberal. So, if you reduce your carbohydrates, you can be really liberal with your healthy fats and your protein as well. Yeah, I love it. All right, tell me a bit about the getting that off the ground. So, you have this idea and you're like, yes. all right, I'm going to cook for my clients and next minute you're Australia's biggest uh, healthy food supplier. Um, and it's an awesome I wish story. it was that quick, but um, <laughs> you summed it up so well. Yes, it started with the idea of, okay, well, if we're going to recommend these food products, programs to people or these meals to people going to have to help them cook it. So, I had a team of five and we hired a kitchen initially, a shared space, and we started cooking the food. And as the demand grew, we grew out of the space and we were really asked to leave because we're taking up so much space in this shared kitchen. They were getting annoyed with all of our deliveries and we're always in the way. So, we then bought a fish and chip shop for a dollar and we thought it came with these three cool rooms and we were so excited and we got in there. It was pretty pretty awful to say the least and everything was broken so really had to gut the place set it all up again and um, before we could go anywhere near cooking in this facility but that was our first kitchen and it was so nice to have a space that was our own that we weren't in anyone's way and we could you know label everything and put it where we wanted it to go and um, really build a team and build a hub that we could start creating this food from and it was probably two or three years after that that we really started to grow and expand and we just we had to get a warehouse then and then we're running out of money so the next part of the story was we went looking for money and Instead of going to the traditional banks, like a lot of people might, we knew they wouldn't loan us money because we weren't making money. So, our goal was to um, get on Shark Tank. So, I did the audition and first time around, my business partner, who's a weight loss surgeon, said to me, it'll be career suicide. You've got to pull out. You can't do it. So, I pulled out the first time and then about a year later after I'd sort of been matching him dollar for dollar in the business, I'd run out of money and I didn't want to lose the opportunity to keep working in this business and obviously not drawing an income, no money left. And I thought, how am I going to be able to afford to keep you know, purchasing food to prepare it and we weren't making any profit and, you know, I didn't want to give up on this dream. So, I went back on Shark Tank and I took that risk, but it was very calculated. So, I made sure that before I went on Shark Tank, I watched every episode ever made for three months prior and I studied every question ever asked and I made sure I wrote down all the answers for our business and particularly the numbers so that I knew that we couldn't fail on the numbers because that was most of the time where people got humiliated on national TV where they, the sharks would tear you apart because you didn't know your numbers and the business didn't stack up. So, um, unbeknownst to everyone, it wasn't just the five minutes that went to national TV to the 685,000 viewers. It was actually about two hours and 45 minutes of being on the stage interrogated, just me and the five sharks, no notes, no breaks, no questions, just 
you know, rattling off all the facts from the top of my head. And I called the the bariatric surgeon on my business partner on at the very end because he'd been warned, don't, don't go on national television <laughs> in front of the sharks. I'll tear you to pieces. And he only came out for the last little bit. And um, fortunately, we, we did get a deal on air, but um, that was not what it seemed. And um, I thought we'd, you know, go and get a photo. So we had Janine and Alice invest and we had Steve Baxter to make an offer, but we chose to go with Janine Ellis and we go and get this amazing photo and I thought, oh, am I going to hold one of those great big checks and, you know, walk out and where, how are we going to take it on the plane? And <laughs> there was no check. There was no little check, no big check. And then even months later, there was no check. So we went through the process of due diligence. And so on Shark Tank, there's been roughly 100 episodes in Australia, roughly 50 that have had deals on national TV, but only three businesses that I'm aware of that have ever seen a dollar from the Shark Tank. What do you mean? Yeah. So, and I recognize why, and it is because it's not the show that's giving you the money. It's the individual judges and they're committing their own personal funds to invest in your business. So, they want to do the due diligence. They want to know who they're working with, what the business model is, what the financial history is. They want to know everything and they want to know if they're investing money, how much more will they get back? And I guess for our business, our priority was to change the health of Australia and at any cost, I guess. So, in a silly way, I think we overinvested in everything that created the science of the product, the dietitians behind the product, the, you know, the packaging, the imagery, we wanted to set this thing up to succeed, but we never really thought about the bottom line and we didn't have this big money pool that we could sort of get more money from. So, when we ran out of money, we really were stuck in this position of how do we keep it going? So, Shark Tank, Finally, when we got that investment and it was about nine months after we filmed that it finally went to air and even within the first five minutes, we had thousands of orders coming through and we'd only prepared for a few hundred orders. So, we just, we'd only been doing 30 orders a week prior to that. So, we thought big for us would be hundreds of orders, not thousands of orders. So, it was a fair disaster. Uh, It took us about six weeks to sort of catch up with all the orders and to our surprise, about 90% of people said they would wait indefinitely for their food, for their rapid weight loss boxes. Wow. So, we offered to refund everyone and just give them their money back, but they were prepared to wait, which was really, really nice. I guess it gave us that opportunity to show people what we were making, that it did work and the science behind our product. And we also offer free dietitian consultations with anyone who is interested in BeFit food for that reason, that we know it works. We just know people need to understand how it works and feel supported to be able to, you know, have that 100% compliance that it takes for anything to work. You have to be dedicated and you have to stick to it because if you don't stick to it, nothing will work. And this does work every time. And I think for us that rebuilding the business was the hardest part because we literally blew the place up. So yeah. <laughs> going from you, know, I think we grew 1500% overnight, um, which just meant 
it literally blew up. So all of our systems and processes, we went from a team of five to 63 people in four weeks. And that was the toughest, busiest, hardest point in my life besides my own physical illness, which I know I'd told you about um, when we did the U Project conference, but um, it was the second toughest time because I think you're dealing with real human beings and you're trying to create a product and an environment that people want to work in and this incredible culture at the same time as absolutely churn out product, make sure the quality control was there, make sure the customers were happy, manage home delivery nationally across Australia. And it was just a huge operation and a huge learning curve. Did you have, I've got so many questions. Uh, Did you have systems in place ready to go to to expand, to, to bring on those 60 people? Only systems for about double. So for about 10. Yeah. <laughs> so we thought we would double in size, maybe mm. triple, not yep. 15 times. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> um, yeah. And another thing I'd love to know, so in, in these couple of years leading up, like when, you're, when you, you've got this business and I guess you're purpose-driven, right, yes. and that's kept you doing it. So at what point, I'm just thinking of all the people, business people that are listening going, I have a business or an idea and I love it, but... How do we know when, like, if you've got a non-profitable business as yet, how hard was it to pitch a business that's not making profit Yeah, uh, and have have belief in it? And when do we know or how do we know or whether it's going to survive or whether it's worth pursuing? So I guess my philosophy is you can't fail until you stop. So if you're not willing to give up, then it'll never actually fail because it only fails once you give up on it. If you're prepared to do anything, then it it can't fail because you're backing it, you're behind it. And um, generally speaking, that if you have chosen, you know, a real passion and an interest, you've actually put your heart and soul into it. You've educated yourself. You've bought a quality product. So, you haven't just thought, I'm going to make something out, money out of something because I think most people that go into business to make money probably, you know, some of them might succeed, but the majority wouldn't because if there's no passion behind your product, you can't separate it. You, the point of difference isn't there to others. And, you know, the story of the product is just as important. You've got to have people buy into what is the bigger picture? What are you trying to achieve? And I'm sure that, you know, the person who created Coca-Cola didn't go up with this brown liquid in a can. It's mostly 20 tablespoons of sugar. I've mixed it with a bit of, you know, some artificial chemicals and water. You're going to love it. Like that is not the story behind Coke. So you've got to buy into the story as well. Yeah. yeah. What do you think when you look back, what do you think drew Janine in to say, yep, I'm going to back this? Yeah, I think it was definitely that I was also a female founder and I think she had been in that vulnerable position in, you know, starting up her business as well and been through a lot of failure. And I think we were on the verge of, you know, it all coming to an end, although I never think I would have given up. I would have just found another way. I'm not sure what I would have done next, but um, I would have found a way. And I think it was that sheer passion, that that yeah. willingness that we were going to go all the way and we weren't going to give up. So, uh, you're not going to lose your money if you never give up. So, oh, God, I love that. I have had her on the show and 
and I, I did ask her about what she invests in and it's and she said it's the person, it's the people, not the pro like what you know, what are you looking at yeah. when you're on that show and you're making decisions? And she said one hundred percent it's the person and their yeah. kind of tenacity. Yeah. Oh, bloody well done. Um was there so you go on the show, you get all this exposure and then there's no check for a whole bunch of time, but was there a perception outside of people seeing you as successful and you not yet mm. getting that and how did you manage that? Oh, you know what? We were so busy and overwhelmed and I'm not the sort of person that looks around or, you know, I just focus on what I'm doing. So uh, I've never been one really for social media. I'm not one for gossip. I'm home before midnight every night, even on my own birthday. So I just miss the stuff that people talk about. And yes. to my own credit, sometimes, because I think, you know, I, I was once a victim of cyberbullying with Shark Tank, and that was the last time I ever really sat on social media and it, it was horrific. And my best girlfriend who worked with me at the time, she's like, I'm taking over your socials. You're not doing this anymore. And I just, I think the trolls that you get on the internet and the people that, that tall poppy syndrome in Australia, they want to hate you. So just don't listen to it and don't surround yourself with people like that. Surround yourself with people that lifts you up, that support you, that are positive and, They'll protect you from all that other stuff as well because it's just at the end of the day, um, it's not real. It's um, yeah, you know, it's just an opinion. It's not real. <laughs> I love that. And you know what else I love? You seem to have managed this balance. I think this is the hardest thing in business, in small business. So you are the technician. Yeah, <laughs> has managed to become the CEO. Like it's really hard to run a business and be and still be in the business and be passionate okay so yeah. how tell us a little bit about your experience with that was that natural for you or did you how did you get the support and the knowledge and the education Oh, that's really interesting too. We actually have used a um, business philosophy called EOS and with EOS, it's um, like a business planning program. I'm, I'm not saying the right thing, but it's something on the lines of that. And their philosophy is you actually have at the top of the chain a visionary and then the person below them is the integrator. So, the integrator is the person who's a super smart person who really understands the systems and processes and all of those sorts of things. And I really fire up when I'm in the visionary role, which is looking forward, which is looking for our next investment, looking for our new, um, you know, products that we're going to develop, looking at the science and how it's changing and how we evolve as a company, looking at what countries we're going to expand to next and looking at different trademarks and those sorts of things. That's what gets me excited. That's what I love. And I, I certainly love talking about the products. So I do all the PR and all those things. And um, then the integrator is my person who really is the smart and she helps lead the team of, uh, I, I guess, all the managers in their departments that have the knowledge and understanding to that really um, in-depth level that I don't have, whether that be our supply chain manager and understanding end-to-end -end, every cost, all the logistics, every movement of every product and uh, the manufacturing, the packaging, the all those sorts of things. And then I've got the, um, I guess, like a dietitian team that really um, 
are a mirror of everything that I'm doing and saying, but that's not because I've told them to, it's because they believe in it. So I love that we've got this team that are, you know, preaching what I'm preaching because they they see how it works and they're part of the product development. They're part of, you know, the quality assurance, all those parts of the business that um, the food lab testing, the working with the CSIRO, Deakin University, we bring in lots of students into the business and that part is really fulfilling for me and I get to work with them. And then we've obviously got our finance and accounting, very essential, not my favorite part of the business. <laughs> um, and then our marketing team and all the creatives in the business and the, the graphic design and the social media and marketing and such a crucial part of the business. But I'm not the, the creative mind. I'm probably more the academic mind. So, I love telling the story and I love creating the product, but I'm not the person who cares about the colors and the logo and I need someone else to kind of manage how the brand looks and feels and I just tell the story. <laughs> yeah. And how do you find yourself finding the right people has that been hard has that been challenging funny you say that so uh, my other very key person in the business is my sister she's a HR consultant she's got her own business the the save group and um, she's been a HR consultant for many many years and she's worked in mining she's worked in chemical companies she's worked internationally and her experience is so vast that you know the personality profiling for her is just something she does every single day understanding how people interact. She's done psychology degree as well. So, the things that I can't see, I only see the good in people and she sees everything. (laughs) So, I go, I I probably say they'll be great every single time and she'll go, but what about this, this and this? And I'm like, oh, oh, maybe, maybe. And then she'll put another one forward. So, that process now has really been narrowed down that I only see the people right at the end of the line because I I look for the good in people and I like everyone. I'm pretty, um, I'm a Libran, you know, (laughs) Uh, and and that's to my detriment, but I make sure that I surround myself with people that are very different to me because I know that uh, it might be a strength, but it's also my biggest weakness. So um, I need to make sure that I support those really weak areas with people who are much better at decision making in those areas than me. So she will, you know, do the advertising and the hiring recruitment, the interviewing, the personality testing, the skill set testing, and my team will do the interviews because we need to make sure that they fit culturally. And my part then is really to make sure they fit our company values. So we have five values that I created with the team and the team love the values and they're for the love of it, which just means like you only come to work if you love your job. The moment you stop loving your job, this isn't the right place for you and we'll help you move on. Whether you want to be, you know, we've had a dietitian that wanted to be a paramedic. We've had people that have gone into all different, all sorts of areas and, you know, we're okay with that, but you've got to love it whilst you're here because our job is to help people and you can't help people if you're not passionate about it. And, you know, so that's probably a key one. Another one is obviously to have a resilient mindset because there's so much, um, change and because you are dealing with people's emotions when they're trying to change their diet they're trying to change their mindset they're trying to change their body they're trying to change their life and their outlook on things and it can be a really distressing sort of process for them so you need to be quite resilient to be able to help them Uh, we've got I guess like 
a growth mindset as well is really important. So learn and grow. So everything changes in our business as we expand every year. So you've got to want to keep learning because if you stop learning, then you can't grow with the company and the company will outgrow you. So we've got this really, you know, fastidious mindset about just constantly learning. And um, yeah, own it is another big one because if you find something or you you come across information that no one else has, you need to be accountable. So the own it value is really about that accountability piece that no matter what it is, it could be, I don't know, a spilt smoothie that's ended up under the fridge and it's been there for a few days and it's pretty awful. But if you found it, you can't walk past it. That's now your problem and you own that problem. You know, if there's no toilet paper and you're the last person in the toilet, it's now your problem to get some more. It's not the next person. So um, that's really helpful us along the way having those values and the last one is whatever it takes and that is purely because of all of those other reasons that sometimes things will be really hard and particularly with customers if you know they're missing something in an order or something's broken or damaged and we will make sure we replace it no matter what and you know it could be miles away and if we can't physically get out there and deliver it we use another delivery service we'll make sure the customer's happy and do whatever it takes to make sure that you know they get the experience that they should be getting so good you're so you've got such great energy and you're so lovable like sitting here and I was like (laughs) if I was the sort of person that wanted to go and get a job I'd be like maybe I'll go and work for Kate I think that's a big that's a big component of success and successful teams and God, I wish I had you for another hour now to pick your brains about the business and the growth it's it's amazing if you could do I don't say if you could do, I wouldn't change anything. Let's not say if I could do anything differently. Mm-hmm. If you, what was one of the toughest lessons to learn? Oh, you know what? Cash is king. I never really understood what that phrase meant. And Janine Ellis would say it to me all of the time. How's your cash flow? How's your cash flow? And because we're an online business, we took orders, money came in before we had to send the food out. So, cash flow was good when we were small, but as the business grew, you need to hold a lot more stock Uh. and you've got much bigger overheads, much bigger wages. And then we started to appreciate what that actually meant that you don't, I used to be the person that paid the bills the second they came in. So, I was so proud that we did didn't have a single outstanding bill because it it just, that made me feel good. I I don't like bills, but then I started to learn if you pay everything as soon as it comes in, you're using all the cash that's needed to actually run and fund the business, to buy the produce and to make the meals and those sorts of things. So, that was probably one of the hardest lessons to learn is that you need to save the cash in the business. Especially when you go from five staff to 60 something and 15 times your business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we felt the pressures quite a few times there. And it is a roller coaster because you have ups and downs as an online business. You don't have that guaranteed weekly revenue coming in. So you're constantly riding this cash wave. Yeah. Oh, wow. You're amazing. Where can our listeners check you out and have a look at your business and maybe get some life advice and nutritional (laughs) advice from you? Uh, So we've got our website, befitfood.com.au. My Instagram, Kate Save. I'm not particularly active. You'll mostly see my cold water swimming on there at the moment. That's my my fun thing to do. Uh, Also, my LinkedIn. 
LinkedIn. I'm a lot more active on LinkedIn. I love the LinkedIn community. It's a really powerful, supportive place to be, I think, as a, a founder in a business. And um, also our Be Fit Food Australia Instagram and Facebook pages. Brilliant. You have been a delight. Thank you so much for today and thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Well, safe to say I am a massive Kate Save fan. Kate Save saves the day. What I really loved about that and as a fellow business person is just the idea around or maybe the proof around how long things might take before we're just one decision or one action away from really making things work. The idea that Kate was working at that bus- that side of the business for three years before really turning a profit or making it making something make it much more sustainable is amazing. And I think so many of us get three years in, think, I don't know, this is not working or we don't realise how close we are. And I love, okay, the main thing I loved about Kate was the moment that she said, you can only fail when you give up. If you'd never give up, you're never going to fail. And I think that's such an amazing mindset to have and a reminder and just seeing the proof of that. I also really loved hearing about what it takes to make a business work and maybe some of the things that have gone Kate's way or that she's done really well, I should say. Not, it's never just luck. But in terms of being a technician in the business and yet wearing a business hat as well and getting the right people in the business and getting the right culture in the business and really putting values at the forefront. So there are a few of the things that I really took out of that conversation. I would love to hear what you got out of it and I will be watching you guys take that inspiration and turn your businesses into a 15 times bigger business. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Let's Get Fresh. Don't keep us to yourself. Share the fresh and, of course, subscribe to our podcast so you can keep the fresh goodness coming your way. If we've tantalised your networking taste buds, get along to a fresh event near you. Grab your free guest pass at www.freshnetworking.com.au. Until next time, stay fresh.